Are you an ambitious, driven entrepreneur starting to feel overwhelmed, maybe a little trapped by your business? Well, I have a solution for you. It is the five-day bottleneck to breakthrough challenge, where in an hour a day, we will give you the roadmap, the blueprint, the treasure map to where you can find yourself with more free time, more freedom of money, and a more valuable business. Hope to see you soon www.bottlenecktobreakthrough.com. When you think about the, you know, the product that you offer, this is what I said to clients. You were never buying a warm body on stage. You have always been buying expertise. This is The Real Bottom Line where we tell entrepreneurial stories about true grit and perseverance from frontline business owners themselves. Now, let's get started. Well, hello and welcome to The Real Bottom Line with Wendy Brookhouse. I'm here today with Kimberly King of Limelight Communication. I'm sorry, Limelight Entertainment Group. Limelight Group. Limelight Group. Okay, there we go. Good to get that right. Uh, welcome, Kim. How are you today? Awesome. That Despite the rain, it's awesome to be here hanging out with you. Yes, absolutely. Well, let's dive right in, Kim. Uh, you have such a great story. You've done so much with your life, but I kind of want to hear how it all got started. How did you get into the speaking and entertainment and digital event space? Awesome. So I have a marketing communications background, and I think it's interesting in life when we sort of all reflect back on paths, paths that were in front of us, roads, you know, different opportunities. And of course, we've had to make decisions on which kind of roadway we would go. So I thought maybe what I would start off with is how Limelight almost didn't start by oh, way okay. of a little bit of a story. So I, um, I worked in corporate world, left my, my last corporate job uh, in uh, 94. And I was out doing some consulting, working with a number of different organizations. I was working for a healthcare organization. I was doing uh, insert sales for the Globe and Mail in Atlantic Canada. I was um, working with a, a marketing commodity board. I was doing all kinds of different things. And I was also um, doing a little bit of event planning. So I had an opportunity at one point to book Pete Luckett as a speaker. And uh, I remember so clearly the day going back out after, after the presentation thinking, wow, this was really cool. He was such a great speaker. And he asked me at that point, he said, Kim, you know what? I have been, oh, I said, I'm inundated with speaker requests and engagement. I don't know what to charge. I don't know what to do. Would you like to be my agent? And I thought, well, this is interesting. I have spent my career thus far marketing airlines, TV stations, radio stations. And I thought, this is marketing a person. How different could it be? I don't know. I guess I was going to find out. So I jumped in with both feet, worked with Pete, kept my other clients going. Fast forward, it's 1999, and I am pregnant with my fourth child, very pregnant. And our family is about to move to the Annapolis Valley. So I remember thinking to myself, okay, I've got more family on my plate now that I can probably really handle. I need to pare back my client base. So I booked a lunch with Pete, went to the cellar restaurant in Bedford, sat down. I can still picture us at the table. And I said, um, 
you know, we went through our lunch and I said, so Pete, you know, I need to make some decisions. I need to kind of, you know, reduce my workload a little bit. Um, I've decided, you know, since I'm moving to the Valley that I'm no longer going to be able to work with you. I'm going to work with this commodity marketing board. And he just kind of sat back and looked at me and he goes, no, no. And I said, oh, okay, no. And he said, no, he said, step back. He said, what do you love? What's your passion of all the things that you do? What do you love to do? And I just looked at him and I said, I love representing you. And he said, exactly. So there, there, there was a pathway, you know, had he not had that really bold conversation with me that day, where would I have ended up? Because I certainly wouldn't have explored the meetings and events industry to the degree that I have now. So, you know, I, I, uh, we packed up, we moved the family, we moved to the Annapolis Valley. And what was very interesting is six months later, Pete actually bought his farm in the Annapolis Valley and started his next, his next passion. Yeah, exactly. His next passion project planted his vines and got ready to, you know, to then later, a number of years later, launch Lucky Vineyards. So fast forwards to 2003, I'm back in the city and I'm contemplating saying to myself, I love this industry. I think there's something more to it. I'm going to start Limelight. That's that is amazing. Oh my God. I love that story. Uh, a man who's not used to hearing no yeah. <laughs> is the exactly. one who launched it all. <laughs> he was right. He was right. Who are some of the favorite speakers that you've worked with? Oh, so do you know what? I, I always find that question a little bit hard. Um, and maybe it's just so easy. don't make the list, we just won't tell them about this podcast. Okay? No, no. Do you know what? Here, here's the thing about speakers. Um, you know, there's all kinds of different categories of speakers. There's celebrity speakers, which is, of course, where everybody loves to, you know, to go in terms of pie in the sky. We want to have a celebrity for our event. Um, then there are subject matter experts that, you know, that really, really do deep dive into content um, and really bring, you know, important learning to audiences. And, um, you know, and then there's, you know, there's the entertainment side of things as well. So, I mean, you know, we've worked with all kinds of speakers through the years. We've worked with all kinds of comedians and experts. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if there's a favorite. There's not really a favorite. What I love is when a speaker connects to the audience, really cares about the outcomes. Yes, we've worked with lots of divas through the years where you're like, oh my goodness, like how just get me through this event. But when somebody is really connected and passionate about, about the audience, that's what I love. Interesting. How do you find your speakers? Or do they find you? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a combination. It's a combination for sure. Obviously, you know, as we grew our bureau, we started very much with local and regional speakers. And I'm going to tell you, part of the catalyst for me when I, when I started Limelight was really um, I wanted to support our local speakers. And that was a big part. Starting with Pete was great. Um, but there was a lot of folks out there that, you know, that really were looking for more representation. And, and, and I really enjoyed that. Um, but it's, it's a process. And, and I say it's relationship building. You know, when a speaker reaches out to me and says, I'd like to be a part of your roster. Obviously, we are looking for expertise that is already proven. Um, you know, we're not necessarily in the business of growing people. And sometimes there's, there might be exceptions to that. Um, 
And then it's, it's just building rapport because for me, you know, working with a speaker, you do want somebody who is great before, during and after an event. And what I mean by that is they're very collaborative, you know, as you're working with a client, they're fantastic, obviously on stage. And then even following the event, they're not rushing out the door. And I was going to say they're not jumping on a plane. That's not happening so much these days, but they're, you know, they're, they're in it. They're in it for, you know, for the whole experience. So. Oh, that's very cool. Um, so my next question then is going to be almost like March 2020. I think we all thought the year 2020 was going to be magical just because it had been the 2020 was yes. such a nice resonance to it, right? Yeah. And then March hits, pandemic hits. You have stuff booked out, what, year, year, year and a half in mm -hmm. advance, and the world shuts down. What happened, Kim? Yeah, yeah. So for me, I guess the, the March 11th date um, completely anchored in my mind because I was actually on site at the Halifax Convention Center. Um, and, you know, we were on day two, we were on the final day of a six, 700 person conference. And we were all just like this. Let us get through this event. Let us let us get everybody home safely. Let us, you know, but it's so interesting, you know, when we reflect back to what we thought and what we know now, you know, I think all of us were thinking, okay, well, this will be, you know, a month or two and some things are going to be canceled and, and we just really didn't know. But, you know, within seven days, um, I lost $250,000 in revenue, uh, 5,000 attendees that weren't going to show up, 28 events. And sadly, that was just the beginning. That was just the spring. And, you know, when you, you know, we, we did all kinds of postponements and, you know, everybody hoped for the fall. And, you know, we all know how it ended up um, in the end. But it was, um, it was, I describe it as a free fall. It was just, okay, let's get to the computer and open up the email, see who's canceling today. I mean, it was, you know, it, it was heartbreaking. And it was heartbreaking, you know, as we know, meetings and events industry, um, you know, it's one of the industries that was most profoundly impacted. We're in the business of bringing large groups of people together. I feel like your particular sector of that industry didn't receive hardly any attention in terms of everyone focused on almost the, the physical locations that weren't getting the money versus all the other suppliers, the, you, yeah. the AV, the other people that supplied all the things for the events. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was a really, really tough time. And I, and I think our industry and this is worldwide kind of went, wow, you know, we are such a unique sector. Yeah. You know, when you go through those industry classifications, try and find something that even remotely <laughs> represents, you know, what we do. It, it, it's yeah. just not there. And, you know, we banded together, you know, as a group and um, and had an industry coalition. And I'm going to credit uh, a wonderful colleague of mine, Stephanie Purcell from Box. Um, she pulled together our community because we really needed that. And it was it was very, very scary mm -hmm. on the national front, um, Canadian Association of Professional Speakers. Um, I sat on a on a panel and I think it was like March 28th. And again, you know, it was our industry watching, um, you know, all the, the years and years of speakers, you know, building their expertise, building their speaking practices, you know, getting their fees elevated to a certain level. And all of a sudden, you know, it, you're reduced to 
what, like people were saying, well, you just get jumping on a Zoom call. Like how much money can you charge for that? This is a really important business lesson. So if there's a real bottom line to this interview, here, here's, here's number one. Um, when you think about the, you know, the product that you offer, this is what I said to clients. You were never buying a warm body on stage. You have always been buying expertise. Why would you want a speaker to show up on your stage? It's because they have one of you know, many things, deep expertise, ability to motivate, you know, a kind of um, presence and ability to connect with audiences that you know, can be one in a million. So uh, you know, let's be clear. <laughs> We need to still meet, people still need to be educated and engaged. And right now, this global pandemic has dictated we are doing it online and therefore, you know, fees still need to be reflective of that expertise. And that, you know, and I know a lot of speakers very initially struggled with that, but mm -hmm. I can tell you over the past year, it, this is one of the things for me, I, I always want to deliver great value to our clients, but I always want to claim great value for our speakers because mm. they do, they have a really hard job. They deliver something that is very specialized. And, and they have to be on and they have to be so good just for that particular time frame. It's, it's so, so focused. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm going to use the word that I used to love, but I hate now pivot. Ah. So, <laughs> um, so you know, your business, you know, you it's gone, 250, gone. And as you sit and there's start thinking, um, you what do you do now? So how did you go through that process, Kim, in terms of what did you analyze? What did you look at? What did you draw upon? And then where have you ended up now? Yeah. So, you know, it's so interesting. Like I literally, when I think of those months, I think of it with such a gray filter. Like I, I really do. It's like, it was, there was no color to the world. It was very, very gray. Um, but, you know, I, and again, I, I credit our industry. I credit some of my speakers who, you know, who were a bit more technology focused, who said, okay, like we can do this. So I got curious, you know, I think that's what it was. I got really curious about, okay, these virtual events, um, there's got to be something more to it. My um, international association of speakers bureaus were very, very valuable too. And they, you know, they pulled Seth Godin in on a, on a webinar one day to talk to us about the power of live and the power of virtual events and how can we ensure that we're still creating those opportunities. So I had a lot of um, great folks around me, but I made a decision. I said, you know, first of all, as a bureau owner, I need to be able to, as I always have been able to do is add value to the exchange, not just book a speaker or entertainer. I want to be an expert. And, you know, I'm an expert in the meetings and events industry, but I wasn't an expert in virtual. So I, I signed up for the first cohort I could get from the virtual meeting and event manager uh, certification course through the event learning Institute in the U S uh, I did that, and then I, right on the heels of that, did a designation, my digital event strategist, DES, through PCMA, the Professional Convention Managers Association, also out of the okay. U.S. And I just, you know what, I soaked it up, and and I'll tell you, it was therapy as well. I mean, you know, 
what everybody was going through personally, you know, physically concerned about people, concerned about health, concerned about the pandemic to, to get up every day and have to get to my desk and Mm. get through my learning outcomes and, and sit on my, you know, call with hundreds of other event professionals around the world and, and start to learn this. Like it was really empowering. That is so interesting. Um, I feel like in the space, there was this time frame. I'm going to give it the first six months, whereas consumers of digital events, we had a lot of patience, meaning we gave, we gave, forgave a lot of mistakes, but I can recall going to uh, an event in my industry in October. And I'm like, no, you get no, you did it all wrong. <laughs> you didn't, you know, like there was no, there, everything I thought that you should, you know, poor lighting, bad speakers, did it all those things. And I think we don't have that anymore. So um, where, ha- where are you, who are you working with? How are you advising them yeah. on this? Because I think that the grace period for not doing it right when you're doing these types of events is over. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, it all comes down to, right, to expertise. And, and I, you know, I think people have to see the value in that. Um, there's all kinds of things out there that people can do. You know, I guess the first thing that I, you know, pull back when I talk to clients about, you know, what are you trying to do? So often clients are saying, well, I've got this conference and now I need to bring it online. And, you know, what I always say to them is let's start from the beginning and we're going to deconstruct that event. We're going to look at your event goals and we're going to see what is really important, what's really going to resonate online. And we're going to, we're going to rebuild it. You know, it's, it's all about the building blocks. We're going to rebuild it so that it translates well for online. I worked with an industry association that had a two day conference and we got really creative with it instead of trying to bring it. And and in fact, it was for the long-term care industry. So bless these people, these administrators, they needed stuff, but they needed it in more bunk, uh, bite-sized chunks so we created three catalyst events is what we called them and they were short and they were um they were short and they were really quick and you know it it gave them the information they needed so so again it's finding ways to translate your content you know um thinking differently because you can't just pick it up and drop it in online Um, there's lots of platforms, you know, people always go to, well, what platform is best? What do I do? And they jump to that. Well, that may have been on my list, Kim. Yeah, no, what platforms are best? You know, it's, it's interesting, um, because again, I take people back. What are your event goals? What really does want to happen? Some, you know, I found through some events that we've produced, people, uh, they don't necessarily want all that interaction. They really want to learn. They want to consume. They want to do it you know, kind of quietly and kind of move on. There's other groups that are just a hubbub of activity and they're like, oh no, no, no. Like I, you know, we want as much possible connection as we can get, or we need an exhibit hall. We need virtual exhibits for our sponsors. So you look at all those event goals, you kind of massage it and then you say, okay, what platform? It's the same way we think about hotels. You know, the platform is kind of like the venue. It's the container that holds your event. And, you know, you always would make choices on, you know, space that you need in the hotel or just different vibe or flavor or location. There was always those parameters. They're totally different now in virtual, but they still apply. You still need to, to think about those kinds of things. I love that analogy that the, the, the 
platform you do your meeting on is now your hotel. Yeah, the, venue. the hotel. Okay, cool. I love that. Um, so what are the, if you're a speaker, if you're doing event, you are speaking online, like, or doing any kind of, you're popping in and doing a keynote or something. What, what advice are you giving them in this mm. digital world? Yeah. Well, I mean, it has been amazing. I, I tip my hat to the speakers around the world who talk about a pivot. I mean, you know, they have now, you know, so many of them created studios in their homes or in their offices. Um, they've, they've added even more technology, um, you know, to, to what they do. They've, um, you know, they've really, really had to kind of step up. And again, because of all of that, you know, these are all more reasons why we need to claim value and hold on to those speaker fees because they, they, in some cases, if a meeting is simple, they are the AV company as well. So there's all those kinds of things. But I think for the most part, you know, um, there's the, the real basics and, and oh my goodness, in the beginning, you know, when people were, you know, the, the Logitech cameras, all the HD cameras, all the, you know, the microphones and everything were just flying off the shelves um, and you couldn't get it. And I mean, and I had a couple of instances with speakers where I'm like, you go down the street, you, you, you canvas, you, like you have got to get an HD camera for this event. Like it was a bit of a scary supply and demand thing there. But, you know, I think, I think for the most part is same way with, I would recommend with clients that we're working with to kind of deconstruct their events and sort of see how they put it back together for online speakers need to do the same things think about the ways in which they would normally engage and and find those opportunities Uh, you know it's um we all know what we're missing in our in-person events of course you know there's there's nothing that can um there's nothing that will sort of compete with that lovely face-to-face interaction but virtual has so many um different benefits that are that are incredible and i've had a lot of speakers say that you know there's always those people in the back of the conference room who probably really wanted to ask a question or say something or engage but would never walk up to a mic or would never you know sort of put that forward and you know now with virtual events there is that kind of you know engagement and and i think and i know there's some speakers perhaps um online here with us today but you know you you can you can feel the love from the chat. You can you can get people kind of inspired. You know, it's like, are you a two or a ten today? Hit me up in the chat, and you just kind of see it. It just kind of lights up, like yeah, yeah. you know. So it's it, it's really playing into that, being comfortable with it. You know, getting really good and solid on on technology, and then finding your own ways. You know, people talk about, well, let's do a poll. Well, let's do a poll if it makes sense to do a poll, not just because it's cool to do a poll, right? Well, that's fascinating. I also feel like virtual events have made them more accessible. I know that I have gone to a number of events over the last 12, 13 months that I would never have gone to because either I didn't want to pay the ticket price or I didn't want to pay all the other times and take the time out of my schedule to go. And I've been able to go to some good ones. Where do you see this going? You know, fast forward, we're all vaccinated. We've kicked COVID to the curb. What's happening in your industry? Yeah, well, I think the next steps in the industry, um, I think it's going to be a very slow movement. Um, you know, I, I say there's there's three things that have to happen to get us back to um, in-person events. And obviously, public health has to say it's okay. 
organizations, businesses, and associations have to have the budget to be able to host those events. But the third one is attendees, and they're going to vote with their feet. Are they going to be comfortable to come back on site? And I think, you know, we are going to move into a period of hybrid events, you know, where we have a certain group of people um, in person, and we have folks attending online. And, you know, I, I think it's going to be, you know, obviously, the extroverts in the world, perhaps are going to be those ones that are like, get me there right now. I want to get in that front line. line. <laughs> you know, I want to do that. Um, and then there'll be those folks who are just like, no, like, you know, there and it could be health reasons. There's all kinds of reasons why people will say, I choose not to a travel. Um, or I just don't want to interact with, with those people. So I think it's going to be a very slow process. And, you know, what I say to my clients when we're producing events for them is let's get really good at virtual because that's only half of the equation. Then we've got to get really good at imagining what hybrid events are going to be looking like. And, you know, probably as, as we sort of move through it, there might be fewer people in person and more people online. And then we may start to see that transition where, okay, great, there's more and more people feeling comfortable to come on site and perhaps less online, but, but perhaps not either too. You know, I, I think that, you know, the world has had their eyes open to a million things, like how many organizations thought, no, I could never, we could never run our large organizations with everybody working from home. It's proven to be wrong. So um, mm. everything's, you know, everything's up for, for, for uh, discovery and, and, and we'll see where it goes. But I do think that, you know, from the meetings and events industry standpoint, there is such a potential to be, you know, COVID spreading events that we have to be very, very careful in how we move our industry through it. I know that our, um, you know, like Discover Halifax and our convention centers and all of our, like people are, are, are you know, really wanting to, to, you know, to bring the folks in, to bring the conferences in and, and all of that. But um, we have to do that very carefully and very strategically. When it comes to um, businesses who are thinking of doing something online, at what point should they contact an expert like you? Yeah, great question, Wendy. Um, so I, I guess I would say, you know, it's, it's again, it's looking at the goals and what you want to do. Um, expertise is important in every way. And, you know, the clients that we've been working with, um, you know, it's, it's been amazing. You know, you, 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 there's so many learnings, like everybody is learning. It's, and in some ways it's scary. And in some ways it builds such a community, you know, the sponsors are saying, I haven't exhibited virtually. I have no idea what to do. How do I even sell this up to my VP that we still right. want to be a part? The attendees are, you know, not so sure how to show up online. You know, the client is saying, I don't know how to do this. Um, and, and, and speakers, you know, professional speakers, I think generally have caught up on it, but Many times with our events, we're working with industry speakers and subject matter experts that are like, you know, I don't know how to translate it. So, you know, I would say, you know, when we produce events, we have, you know, we dissect from the beginning and we move it right through to the end. So it's really looking at what your goals are and saying you've, whether you've hired a meeting planner in the past um, and you've always had that expertise 
um, trying to say that online is, well, we just, you know, put a Zoom link. And, I, and I'm not at all crapping on Zoom either, because let's be clear, it is a simple, strong, steady, easy to understand platform. And, and sometimes that is enough for, for organizations. But when you want to start to get into yeah. viewing different platforms, uh, creating different levels of engagement, um, yeah, there's a whole kind of art and science to it. Yeah. And, yeah. I guess what I, I'm trying to understand too is when do I know I need to go beyond the Zoom meeting? Do you know what I mean? Like if we, if that was our first, we'll just put it on Zoom. When should I be like, oh, you know what? There might be something better. Uh, like yeah, is there a I, characteristic I, I, of, well, of when that would be or what type of event I'm having that might precipitate that conversation? Yeah. Yes and no, I guess, Wendy. I mean, the, the, the most simple of events, if it's just we're going to get our group together, let me just give you an example. You know, let's say we're going to have a two-hour event. Um, we want some networking to happen. We're going to have two speakers, um, but we want to kind of make it different and dress it up. Well, I mean, there's, there's different platforms that you can choose. Um, that could be a simple kind of thing where you you do engage an expert or you, you look for a different platform. Generally speaking, though, it's when you're having a multifaceted event where you you do have Multiple. the sponsors that yeah you got the sponsors you need to engage. You perhaps need to produce an exhibit hall, uh, a virtual exhibit hall. Um, you've got multi tracks. You know you've got those kinds of things. So you know it, it, it kind of really depends. But but I think your your observation is very true. Um, doing it in an okay basis. You know people are expecting more. They've had more experiences, yeah. and the you know the the metric the benchmark is getting higher. I can tell you the benchmark for delivering value to sponsors and exhibitors, the expectations are getting higher as well. Um, so, you know, and that's something that we work with clients on very much, always with sponsors, you know, you always wanted to create those opportunities where it's more customized and it really would fit with the organization's objectives. And again, you know, I, I think one of the biggest mistakes in platforms is when they call exhibit halls, exhibit halls, like, and they call it a booth. I mean, maybe when you have those really cool 3D kind of booth um, exhibits, you know, V-Fairs, there's a number of different ones that do it in Trotto. Um, those are very expensive platforms. And so it sets up a certain kind of expectation. But when you move to a more simple platform like Feedloop or Hopin or some of those, I mean, it's a, it's a virtual, it's not a booth. It's a, it's a virtual kind of landing page, right? So right. it's, it's, it's finding, it's making sure again, that's a good example of somebody trying to take something physical and drop it in online. And as I say, in a 3d perspective, it maybe works, but in a lot of other platforms, I think it sets up a different kind of expectation. Wow. Uh, thank you for all that. If we were to start and think back to your to the day you were told no, <laughs> and this became your industry, uh, when Pete Luckett launched you, so to speak, um, what has been your biggest lesson to date? What have you learned the most? Hmm. Do you know, I think one of the the big things is when you're starting out with a business. I think a lot of people think growth equals or success equals big. 
Hmm. Success means, you know, going bigger and bigger and bigger. And, you know, I would say through the years with my bureau, I mean, we've had, you know, much higher levels of staff. We've downsized. I can tell you how thankful I was as a business owner last year to not have, you know, other than contract people, to not have employees that we had to, you know, care for and worry about. Um, you know, that that was really, really difficult. But I, I think it's, you know, getting really clear on what success is to you. And, you know, as we, you know, and, and this may be a, an age statement for me where you are, but it's just, you know, finding that right balance in your business that works for you. And sometimes it isn't about getting a lot larger. Sometimes it's about, you know, finding those opportunities and those clients that you work with, um, that is the sweet spot, both from a revenue standpoint and a, a balance standpoint. I noticed that uh, you recently got awarded a uh, name to the top 250 list for most influential event professionals. What's that all about, Kim? Yes, oh, that was kind of exciting. Time to tell um, your horn, girl. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So Biz Bash magazine, which is um, an industry magazine that kind of, it's based in the U.S., but it, it brings together the biggest and, and coolest event ideas. And uh, so they, <clears throat> pardon me, every year put together a top 250 list. And uh, this year, yes, I was, I was named on that list. And that was, it was really exciting. And I, you know, I think, I mean, it, it, it sort of asked you to kind of talk about your pivot and, and what you did and one of your most exciting um, you know, events or things that you had worked on. So yeah, it was, it was really great to see. And, and, you know, to, to all the industry professionals out there, uh, there's a lot that aren't going to make it. No, there's a lot of people, you know, when we talk about, you know, when tourism comes back, when all the, when, when the demand, like the pent up demand we know is, is huge. Um, and, you know, when it comes time that travel can happen and people, you know, can come to Atlanta, Canada, or can travel anywhere, um, there's a lot of industry folks, you know, whether it's the hotel partners or the AV companies or the meeting planners um, that haven't been able to make it through. So, you know, for me being named on that list, it's, it's you know, it's, it's just saying, like, not going to give up. <laughs> Got to find another way. And, yeah. you know, here we are sitting... Um, going through our, our third wave of this pandemic and while you know still feeling all those worries for our people in our province and our family and friends and all of the health um you know it didn't affect the business this time and i'm so deeply grateful for that um for the ability to to say and, and you know and i said to my clients early days when it was like well do we do we try and do something online? Do we bother doing that? Like, I don't know. And I said, listen, virtual events are safe, sure, and certain. And in this world of uncertainty, your employees, your teams, your association members, they need something they can count on. Mm. And this is, you know, this is to me has been one of the biggest uh, things with virtual events is, you know, what's going to happen and, you know, it's going to take it, you know, it'll be there. So I think that's a really important, um, a really important facet of, of virtual events. That's awesome. I'm going to open up the floor to some questions and I see Melanie has one first. So I'm going to add her to the table here. Melanie, meet Kim. You have a question. Hi, Kim. This has been fascinating. Thank you. Oh, um, wonderful. I always find it interesting. Of course, speakers have, um, 
and and uh, you know they have agents and and booking agents and managers and I but I not occurred to me because you just see the speaker or you see the client or you see the sponsors, and and so it was really interesting insight into your world and industry. So thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm. I was I was wondering if you had any thoughts about you know with the whole shift to online, do you feel as though, and have you noticed that perhaps it opens up ways of connecting for smaller organizations before that couldn't perhaps put on the big show and didn't have the funds? Like, are you noticing a shift in the type of clients who are engaging with these online events? Yeah, it's an excellent question. Um, I'm actually just working with a client in Australia um, and they have been wanting to produce an event um, for a number of years, and it's an organization, it's a nonprofit, and bringing together their audiences, their the, the geographic, you know, space with which they operate is huge. And so we're just in the early talks now of talking about creating an event that will bring together, and it, it's a fetal alcohol syndrome organization, and so they wanted to, to create an event for their caregivers. Um, and t- to have childcare and to have the ability to travel somewhere would be virtually, pardon the pun, impossible. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so definitely it, it creates opportunities for smaller organizations to, to produce great events. Um, and it also creates opportunities for organizations to band together. And I had shared with Wendy an example of another client who has always wanted to create a, a fully Atlantic Canada event. It's a safety safety association. And we did that. We did that in March. And we, we took all the provinces, we put them together, and they had a virtual event. And I suspect that is going to continue to happen. So virtual does enable things to, to come together in a way that has never been able to happen before. And we all know the work that goes into events. They're you know, they're, they're huge time, energy, resources. And when you can combine that together with, um, with other organizations, whether it's your provincial counterpart um, or different divisions of an organization, like the, the, uh, the bandwidth that you can kind of create together is fantastic. Oh, cool, thank you. I have found, Kim, that sometimes, I, I, sometimes people have said, oh, I don't get that same energy. And I've gone to events that have been well done, and I am just as energized as if I was there in person. Do you think there's some magic to that, or is there a way, yeah. a formula that is used? Here's my, here's my sort of thought on that. You know, again, early days in COVID, there was all kinds of free webinars and nothing against webinars. They have a purpose. But I think what we're talking about is producing events that are multifaceted, that have that, that much more replicate that conference in, in conference uh, in person kind of a, a feel. And I think when you curate content that is specific to an organization, you bring their peeps together. You know, and people people are missing that. You know, when I talk to clients, I say, don't just create a virtual event. Create a virtual community and and warm it up. You know. Um, it's, it's the kind of thing, you know, like we did an event recently where we had the event on a certain day, but three weeks in advance, we had what we called a test drive event. And you could come and you could sign up and you can test drive the platform. You can learn about it. We had our MC just do a quick like one hour 
come get test drive certified. So we gave them a digital badge. Anyone that showed up, you know, for the pre-event when we had the actual event, you know, they sort of had that little bit of extra street cred and, and we had some gamification built in and they got to do that. So, you know, I, I think it's about in the same way we would do so much to, to create exciting opportunities in person, we can do that online. And I, and I think again, create communities, don't just create events. And when you start with that kind of heart-centered thought in mind, it changes everything. And I just did a, a sales call with a client a couple of weeks ago, and I, I knew the CEO said to me, okay, can you just, just come on and talk about virtual events? Because she said, I know there's a few people on my team that are like, mm -mm -mm, we're not, not into this. And um, I sort of showed a slide and it was, it was like build community with heart. This, you know, because people get very intimidated by the technology. I think that's yeah. a big part of it. And I said, you know, be heart centered, create a community. And, you know, it, it was amazing to see the transformation of her staff talking about, okay, like it just sort of, it's like, just everybody calm down. It's all good. Like we can, we can make this really special, you know, we can make this um, different. That's amazing. Um, is there something that I haven't asked you that you think we should share? Sure. Um, I, I think we haven't talked about the cost of virtual events and oh, the yeah. investment. We've talked a little bit about, like you said, when does it make sense to sort of, you know, add more bells and whistles or, or have somebody sort of support that. One of the things that we really, just from the straight speaker side of things, we've talked a little bit about that value proposition with the speaker, uh, just in terms of making sure we continue to claim value for their expertise. But the other part is just the, the true mechanics of what it takes to produce a virtual event, what it takes for a speaker. You know, there's there's yeah. a lot more rehearsals. There's just, again, as I said, everybody or many people are new at this. So there's, there's always a bit more work up front. So, um, you know, that's kind of an important thing. And, you know, in terms of just the client and anticipating budgets, you know, I had a lot of associations say, well, it's just a virtual event, so we're not going to charge for that. And I'm like, what? What? Hold the, you know, shut the front door. Like, no, you're, of course you're going to charge for it. Like, what? You know, there's still continuing education credits that are being delivered, you know, for some organizations. I mean, it's just making sure that you value virtual, you budget for virtual and all the different pieces. And that's what allows you to deliver those great products. You know, this is... It's, it's events online and, you know, we all know the money we spent in conference ballrooms and food and beverage and the open bar and the swag and all that stuff, right? Yeah. So uh, we can still do, I mean, some clients are still, um, if you've got the budget, you know, delivering nice little packages and kits yeah. that, you know, that. attendees can kind of open up and it's like the surprise box, everybody open it up online. Um, we've got another client that we're working with, um, that we're going to order colorful just bandanas and so their package if you've got a green bandana put it on put it around your neck put it on your head put it on your sleeve whatever you want to do show up online with your team bandana and then we've got different elements that are going to take place from that so you know it's you make it fun make it special in the same way we always did with events we're just doing it a little bit differently but we can still have loads of fun hotel is online um the um 
Well, so speaking of budget, if I had a hundred thousand dollar budget for in person, is there a rule of thumb, which I usually hate, Kim? So you can say there isn't. Yeah. Um, percentage or. No, I wouldn't say there's a rule of thumb. I mean, I, I can certainly tell you that, you know, there's platforms that you can purchase at five grand, there's platforms at 15 grand, and there's platforms at 100 grand that you can, you know, it's it's sort of, there's all those kinds, kinds of things. It's really about, you know, number of attendees and the different components and pieces that you need with an event. There's lots of platforms that are into kind of an annual subscription. Yeah. So if you are doing multiple events over a year, yeah, you, you could probably invest 10, 15,000 in a platform that would give you some really good mileage, you know, over, over the year. So there, you know, there's, there's those kinds of things as well. Hmm. Well, I have quite enjoyed our conversation today, Kim. And I think, um, my the real bottom line i'm pulling out of this kim is about creating communities and that it is possible to do that if you're you are curious and you're inventive you can do that online just as good as in person absolutely i agree thank you for listening to the real bottom line this show is produced by black star wealth executive producer wendy brookhouse to learn more about the show or to contact us, go to blackstarwealth.com.